David Penn here. Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast, episode 90. 90. Wow. Wow. That's a good number. Fascists and the Min GOP. Yep, you heard me. Those of you that are watching me in Min GOP, the title is Fascists and the Min GOP. I want to thank Free People Radio because they're giving me the opportunity at Free People to search for the truth. And as, as I said in the last podcast, we've got a lot of new people coming in uh, because I'm quite active now on social media, and these people are going to come look at me. And I'm talking with people on the left, and they're going to say, oh, we're going to get this guy. Well, if you'd spend some time with me, you'd find out I come from the left. I remember I was at a, at a uh, when I talk about fascists in the GOP, if you're here and you're from the left, I don't have to convince you. I, went, I was at a Republican Party meeting, and uh, there was a man, I remember his name, but in the interest of good tastes, I'm not going to out him because he's, he's a civilian. And he got mad at me, and he started calling me a liberal over and over again. Now, what he was really trying to say was I was a kike, but he didn't want to say kike because that's, you know, crude, right? So he thought, oh, you know, you're a leftist, you're a liberal. You know, he really wanted to say kike. And what I've run into, and I've said this in many podcasts, so if you're new, this is going to reassure you. I've run into so much anti-Semitism in the Republican Party, it's staggering. I didn't even know it existed like this. So that's cool. I'm okay because I'm a strong believer in, because I'm older, sticks and stones, sticks and stones, A, they'll break my bones. Names are never going to hurt me. So I don't mind when these people come in and they say terrible things about me because it's not personal. It's not personal for me either. I don't know you and you don't know me. We're just hurling brick bats at brick a brick bats at each other because we don't know how to discuss things in a intellectual and refined fashion. And every time I see somebody on social media that seems committed to emotionally perturbating the audience, I just figure they're working for the security state because the only people that come out on top when everybody hates everybody else is the English. Oh, excuse me. It's no longer the Anglo Empire. It's no longer the British Empire. It's the Anglo-American Empire. So the only people that come out on top when the people hate themselves and hate each other are the people in charge of the whole game. And I'm looking at all these leftists, and they're acting like they're leftists, like they're on the outside. No, you people are running the show. So if you're a leftist, now you can, you know, I'm sure someone's going to come up or text me or, and, you know, take a victory lap that you're running the show. Well, you, you know, if you were running the show in a way that was uh, anyway novel or beautiful, I'd be with you. That's why I was a leftist in the street fighting the war back in the 60s. I was there. I'm old enough to have actually been in the protest. I watched police throw University of Minnesota students off the bridge not to their deaths, but, man, they, it's a long way down. They didn't feel good when they hit. I was there when they came into my father's office and pepper sprayed his ass because he was a leader of the anti-war movement. So, you know, if it was so good, if it would have turned out so good, if the result would have been so good, I'd be in the administration. But look what happened. I can't believe it. It's so hard to believe that the most anti-war group of people turned into the biggest bunch of fascists in the history of the world. Boomers, talking about the boomers and the children that they spawned. And most kids, 
don't have the creativity and the courage to be any different than their parents. That's just the way it is. Most people are conformist. They find safety in conformity. Not that many people, by observation, come up with novel ideas. Because it takes some courage, right? Go back to the uh, podcast uh, two, two ago, I think it's number uh, 88, the three domains, the three ways to die, and eight key concepts that keep you alive, that give you life. And the foundational key concept is courage. You have to have the courage to endure, to prevail, to be honest. All the other, you know, uh, attributes of a good life involve an element of courage. And those people were courageous that were in the streets in the 60s. Man, they were getting beat down. Cops with truncheons and clubs, you know, they're beating on them. Sometimes people died like Kent State. People actually died. They were shot, shot and killed. We don't remember their names. They gave their names. They're caught up in our iconology and our history and in our, in our genetic memory, cultural memory. But I don't remember their names. I don't know that I ever knew their names. But I can picture in my mind the picture of that young female student with her arms out plaintively like, how could this happen here in America? And how it happens is, is when the dialogue becomes coarse, when people become polarized and then act out of that polarization and out of a sense of self-hatred and frustration. And maybe when it happened in the 60s, it was more organic. And as a matter of fact, I think it was more organic. I think it was more organic. And why do I know it was organic? Because my parents were at the front end of the thing. They were the ring leaders. They weren't minor players. They were the ring leaders of the leftist anti-war movement where I grew up here in Minnesota. And in fact, both of them had national profiles. My father had an international profile. And, you know, I was there. I was there. It was 1968. Senator Chuck Schumer, now a neocon of the highest order, you know, could break bread with Bill Kristol and uh, Lindsey Graham and Senator Langford and Tom Tillis and Chuck Grassley. I mean, these people are all together. This goes back to an argument I had with somebody online uh, on X just today. Oh, the Democrats are better. Really, you think so? You really think they're better? You really think they're not Republicans? They are Republicans. They just wearing a costume. We got the blue team and the red team. It's a simulation. They're going for the same outcome. And then the far left and the far right, that's the next level of the scam of the theater. We need a completely new politics that emerges in a new polarity that's not caught up in this dialectic. Or you might say it's an outcome of the dialectic, but unrelated to its root. And it's a very simple politics. What makes people well? What makes people well? If policy is involved in something and the outcome is death, it's kind of the opposite of well-being, isn't it? So what I'm advocating for is for this community to find a politics of well-being. It requires some courage. It requires some research, some study. It requires reopening doors that have been closed, like to the unseen world of faith, 
what is in the faith community that contributes to the well-being of all the people? What's in the scientific community that contributes to the well-being of all the people? Because we've got science and religion, and that's a primary dialectic that we're working here, like Shias and Sunnis, like red and blue, like Democrats and Republicans. You know, these are artificial distinctions. Here in the United States, we're all American citizens. We're all entitled to our opinions. We all can strive for a refined level of discourse. Now, you know, I said something to somebody online in reference to a comment that a really big name said. He's acting like a tough guy on X. I mean, come on. You know, it's a completely rarefied, digitized environment. You have zero skin in the game to act like a tough guy. It's like me on here on this on this digitized environment. Why would I act tough? There's no downside. Why would I scam anybody? I'm not trying to act tough. I'm just trying to, to up the dialogue so we don't act tough in digitized environment because it creates polarization, emotional perturbation, and precisely the thing that we want to be stimulating here, which is thinking and the sharing of thought and ideas. When you get people emotional, that part of their brain shuts down, and they just hate. So who's into that? Who is into hate? Who's paying you to spew out hate-provoking tweets? And why would you do it? Is it the only way you can make money? Now, maybe it's the only way you can make money. So what we have then is a lack of sacred honor, the sacrificing of what people know to be true and good in pursuit of money. And we're going to talk about that today because this goes back to the way back. And that's why I say if we go back and look at some of our traditional texts, not to be Bible thumpers, but just to see what's there, to know where I, the ideas that are in my head come from, that's helpful. To not rule things out arbitrarily or without study, to actually study things, to have the courage not to comment on things I don't know anything about. I say this all the time. I don't know anything about that. And that's okay, isn't it? I mean, what am I? What are we supposed to be? All-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful? No, no, no. It's okay to defer to other people that have more expertise in other areas. So if you're new to the Professor Penn podcast, let me just say, please come in the live chat to our uh, experienced and, and loyal following. If people come in with different ideas, let them speak. We're Americans. We talk to each other. This is our entertainment. We go on down to the pub, we draw beer, and we argue about politics. And the argument is not intended to get us to come to blows, although that may happen. It is intended to bring about a better idea through the exchange of our opinions. So let's do that together. Because one thing I am sure of, our country is in a very very troubled time. We're in a very problematic moment in American history. And I don't look to my elites or my politicians or my PhDs to solve this problem. Because these are the people that put us here. I'm looking to the people in the street, 
to come forward with their ideas. No, I'm going to make an admission. I said for decades, you can't let, you, we cannot let the inmates run the asylum. I said it for years. We can't let the inmates run the asylum unless the doctors are out of their minds. You're only good or bad by comparison. And when I look at what's being generated in our intellectual elites right now, what is their output? It's not uplifting. It's not about the well-being of the people. Really, the predominant thing that's coming out of our elites right now is the idea that we must defend democracy as if it is some kind of holy political formation that justifies an empire, that we're going to impose democracy on people throughout the world because it's the greatest and the best and the last. And that's just not going to work. People are not accepting democracy as a cover for the British Empire, which has now become the Anglo-American Empire. They're just not. They're rejecting it. We're moving into a multipolar world, and it's going to be a very rough ride getting there. And how rough it is to get there is up to we the people and how we go about our political lives. Are we involved? Do we get involved in our parties? Do we do more than vote? Do we vote at all? Do we talk to our peers? Do we write letters? Do we go on X and form a community and work on these ideas together? What are we willing to do to protect our lives? Or are we so beat down, we do not care? Just roll me another joint and let's watch Netflix? If that's your attitude, hey, you're probably not going to be on the Professor Penn podcast very long because we get into it here. Let me tell you how deep we get into it. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for sending your only Son to die on the cross that I might be saved. Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, our King, for we have willfully transgressed, for you pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, who is gracious and ever willing to forgive. I believe that I receive freedom from sin because God is good and his goodness and mercy endures forever. Now, for those of us that are watching that don't believe in God, um, I was there at one time. My family was destroyed in the Holocaust. I grew up with people that, on the one hand, gave it up for materialism, and the other hand went deep into the faith. 
And that was their response to intergenerational trauma, real trauma, real trauma, the kind of trauma where people are tortured and they die screaming for mercy, and those screams reverberate through the generations that follow. So we're trying to sort this out. I'm trying to sort it out. And I've had uh, really prophetic experiences that I didn't expect, didn't ask for, uh, struggled with for 30 years before I ever talked about it. You know, I'm I'm just going to say, and it's not about me. I mean, I want God to appear to everybody. But he did to me, and I spent 30 years running from it. 30 years it was so disturbing because I come out of a very intellectual, very scientific background. Uh, The people that love me did not accept what happened to me, thought that I needed, you know, psychiatric care. And uh, I know I don't need psychiatric care, but the people that, you know, were very left in my world that I'd grown up with, when I came and I told them what happened to me, they thought I was sick. And, uh, you know, these are the kind of things that we have to work through as a people. What is the value of traditional culture? What is the value of faith? What are those values if you don't have them? Please don't dismiss it out of hand. Please let's look into it. Just like I look into the, you know, European intellectual tradition of the 20th century, and I've read the existential philosophers. I've read Sartre. I've read Habermas. I've read Popper. I've read this stuff and thought about it and grappled with it. I've read Hegel. I've thought about it. And I've, I've, I've taken it inside, and, and I've tried to create something that's my own. We are not without power, American citizens. We are not governed. We're self-governing. And that, what that means to me is if I have a religious tradition and a scientific tradition and an Eastern tradition, and I can put all those traditions and create something that's me, that's me. And I'm free to do that. And so are you. That's what's so beautiful about the documents that underlie the American experience. We're free to self-govern. We're free to pursue self-development. Because that's what it is to pursue happiness. They just didn't have the word self-development back in 1776. They had a different way of expressing self-development. And that's what we're here to do. We're different than other cultures. We're not bound together by ethno-nationalism, by genetics, by blood. We're bound together by a set of ideas that involve self-development. So isn't it interesting and so poignant that our culture does so much to truncate the process of self-development, almost making it a joke that we should spend our time in trivial pursuits, whatever they may be, rather than really grapple with who we are, where we come from, and where we're going, both as individuals and then collectively? These, these are great questions we need to ask ourselves, or at least I'm going to ask them of myself, And if you'd like to get off and smoke a joint and watch Netflix, it's a free country. Go do it. And let me just say, in the history of the world, every dialectic has been determined by 20% of the people. 10% on one side, 10% on the other side, present their arguments, and the 80% of the people in the world are going about their business, and however they make it up at the end, their will be done. 
because they have the will. The people in the center have the will. And what's being done now on social media, in politics, in media, in entertainment, is to be sure that the polarities are set up to drive the herd right to the center. It's called bipartisanship. And bipartisanship still has a positive connotation until you rip the Band-Aid off of it and see that what bipartisanship really means is that the business model of empire and of slavery, drugs, and piracy continue, whether the left is in charge or the right's in charge. Because guess what, leftists? They're the same people. The left seems to be more attached to the righteousness of their position than the conservative movement does. I think the conservative movement knows that you know this thing is a kind of a scam, and they and they're starting to know they're starting to self reflect and go, hey, I'm kind of a scam the way I've lived this thing out. The left seems a little bit more sure of itself. Maybe it's new power. I don't know, but I grew up on the left and I've watched it. I've watched it morph from free speech, free assembly, and anti-war to pro-war. Let's control what people think and say for the good of the planet, which is no different than any other group of tyrants that rolled in here since Christ made corporal. What we're about is self-governance. Self-governance. That's what we're working on together. Now, the news that matters, as I said in the last podcast, number 89, we're doing two on Monday. So I have no idea what's going to happen between Monday and Thursday now that some group, an unknown group, I don't care who they say did it because I wasn't there when the trigger got pulled. Somebody bombed a U.S. installation where? In Jordan. What are we doing in Jordan? We have over 218 whole golf courses. When I say we, we the people pay for it. Our military operates 218 whole golf courses around the world. Wow. I guess when your leisure time comes, like you're on duty, but you get some time off, you can go shoot shoot 18 and come to the clubhouse afterwards and have a beer. Pretty good deal. That's how developed our empire is. We've got golf courses everywhere, just like the British had cricket clubs all over India. That's why the, the Indians loved cricket. That's one of the things the British left behind, cricket. The Pakistanis also, cricket. We're leaving behind golf. And where did the golf come from? I don't think golf is an American invention, is it? Are we getting the picture here now? Let's start to look at who's really running this and manipulating everybody. You know, and if you're new, you can say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Actually, if we go back through the podcast and as we go forward, I'm not into conspiracy theories. I'm into conspiracy investigation. I want to know myself what's going on. So I just read it. Because what's really great about our culture is it's all written down. The people that write it down just depend on me to be a dummy or so interested in getting high and chasing women that I don't have time to read what they write down. They love to write it down. So there's no conspiracies. There's getting to what's actually written down and then verifying it and seeing the other sources. And pretty soon, what's hidden is not so hidden. Isn't that great? It's just great, but it's really up to you. I can't tell you. you got to do it for yourself. And it's just like who killed these three American soldiers in Jordan. I don't know why they were in Jordan. There's a reason. It's written down. I don't know who killed them. 
eventually we'll know. And I have no idea what the Biden administration is going to do between, you know, here at 10 o'clock in the morning on the 29th of January, Monday, and Thursday night. When we're in the live chat Thursday night, hey, maybe nothing happened. Or maybe we're at war with Iran. We'll see. It's kind of fun. You know, if it wasn't so horrifying, it would be fun because I like a surprise. But this kind of surprise, hey, if the surprise is people are dying, mm, it kind of sucks, right? Do we have to live in a culture where the outcome of our culture, of our empire, is people dying? Is that the highest expression of my humanity? I will assure you it is not. And that is not to say I will not defend myself. But I don't want to defend empire. I want to defend the United States of America. And that's two different things. And when we understand that, as American citizens, that we're defending an empire, we believe in empire, and we believe it's our right to have an empire, that's obscuring what it was really uh, given to us, the right to self-govern. Because self-governance and empire are mutually exclusive. You can have one, but not the other. And we're making a choice now, and whatever that choice is, we're going to have to make that choice and then live with our decision. So in the news, besides this great unknown, some of the lesser entertainments, like the United States just sold a big order, like I don't know, it was like $22 billion of F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. And oh, this is a really interesting one, because the Turks are in NATO. But under President Erdogan, they've been no friend of the United States and never a foe of the United States, and no friend of Russia, but no foe of Russia, and no friend of the Chinese, but no foe of the Chinese, because President Erdogan has removed himself as a toady of NATO and the Anglo-American Empire, and he's mm, hearkening back to the Ottoman Empire. He wants Turkey, which is at the crossroads of East and West, to assert itself as its own power. So the Turks have been very active pursuing their own foreign policy, and part of their foreign policy is eliminating the Kurds, who they've been at war with for decades. And what's so interesting about that is, is the Kurds are allies of our U.S. military because the Kurds were ever so happy to assist in the destruction of the Decretes or Saddam Hussein's tribe in Iraq. These things are complex. takes a little time to think about it. Why did our government, the Biden administration, sell these jets to the Turks? It was a payoff. They paid them off with jets that will be used to kill the Kurds, who are our allies. I'm sure the Kurds were not happy to read this in the newspaper when they got up last week. And what was it a payoff for? The Turks agreed that Sweden could be part of NATO. So NATO is expanding, and the Turks are supporting it. And you have to say to yourself, why? Well, number one, they wanted the weapons. And number two, they've been at war with the Russians off and on forever. So when push comes to shove, when push comes to shove, they're more pro-American than they are pro-Russian. They are definitely pro-weapon. And hey, if the Swedes get in there and get killed, hey, what do they care? They don't like the Swedes. I can say that because I was told that directly by senior people there because I've been to Turkey many times. 
And that's what I think is so interesting about what I read on X. Everybody's got an opinion about stuff they've never experienced. I'm not going to do that. If someone brings something up and I don't know anything about it, I'm just going to say, please proceed. I don't know anything about that. Is that so hard to do? Why do our pundits have to be experts in everything? I was thinking when I was reading the prayer, king of all worlds, and I'm thinking about the women going, boy, that's very patriarchal. You're correct. It is. There's things got to change. We have to find new ways to express things that do not alienate American citizens. I'm open to it. And how you do it your way is not necessarily an insult or an affront to me as long as we're all self-governing. So we, as the people, we the people, had no consent in this. We were not consulted. The Turks are getting F-16s, $22 billion. It's great for the business world, which we're going to talk about in a second. And the British, in this moment, when there's no funding for the Ukraine because there's no border deal, or at least there wasn't when I did the first podcast that went up Tuesday, and I'm going to presume there won't be a border deal by Thursday, which means there's no funding for the Ukraine, guess what happens? The crown actually comes out from behind the curtain and pops up with $3.2 billion in interim financing because they just assume us dummies here in America will eventually get it together, which as Winston Churchill famously said, that'd be Prime Minister Winston Churchill, the Americans will always do the right thing after they've always already previously done all the wrong things first. That's how the British think about us. To them, it's inconceivable that we could say, we're out. We're out, Britain. Go do your own thing. We're out. We're just out. We don't want to do this anymore. And so everybody who says that is instantly brushed as a Trump supporter, and it has nothing to do with anti-war or an informed political conclusion based on studying history, that I, Professor Penn, that's my nom de guerre, my real name, David Penn, have no interest in defending the British Empire. None because it does not bring about any benefits of well-being for my five children who I love. There's no benefits to them. How personal is that? Is not all politics about what's in it for me? And I don't see dying for the British to have much benefit for me or my kids. It has nothing to do with Trump or not Trump. Zero to do with it. In fact, as we're pursuing this Anglo uh, dream of empire and Mackinder's world island theory, which we can go back. We talked about it previously on many podcasts. That's Mackinder's world island theory. Please look it up for yourself. It's on Wikipedia. As we're pursuing this and defending it, and now we can't get ships through the Suez Canal. Boy, you know, President Biden's got a problem with this. And why do I know? I didn't read it in the book. I'm actually playing in the game. Ocean shipping costs for the little people have quadrupled in a month. For the big people, they didn't change. But for the little people, they're up four times. What does that mean? It means downstream, we're about to have another very brutal run of inflation 
right in the middle of an election year. It's not going to look good for the Biden administration. So they're going to have to figure out how to keep that from taking place. That's why if we wake up on Thursday together and we come to the podcast Thursday night and they're bombing the piss out of Iran to get it over with early, I won't be surprised because what's going on there is inflationary. War is, by its very nature, inflationary. War is disruptive. War overturns the status quo. It creates the kind of change which is, in our current world of debt, very inflationary. So something's going to happen, and I'm not going to fortune tell what's going to happen. The fortune tellers out there, well, quite frankly, they suck. Elliot, can you put up this uh, under why I fight? Can you put up this thing? Okay. Now, I don't know this guy, Daryl Hansen, and he's putting this up on X, and that's a public space, so I'm just going to put it right up there. And uh, I was stunned by this because I'm talking about this war funding, and I'm pursuing this idea on X that, you know, war is inflationary, and what are we doing over there anyhow? Why are we doing this? And Mr. Darrell, who is a, a defender of Representative Tom Emmer, writes back to me. I want you to listen to this. And let's all contemplate this. And if you're new to the podcast and you're a leftist, this came from the right. This guy was, is on the Tom Emmer side of the equation. And I was arguing with him. I'm not trying to make any points with you. I'm just setting the stage. The war spending is almost all spending within the U.S. to U.S. companies to pay U.S. employees to produce equipment used by Ukrainian soldiers who have decimated the Russian military for a tiny portion of our over-budgeted Department of Defense. And I wrote back, all Americans need consider what has been said here this evening. This is the European intellectual thinking. Our country is meant to be a repudiation of this kind of thinking. That we have fallen short in the past does not mean we cannot excel today in the present. And why do I say this? This is a man defending the British business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. He's defending it. He's saying war is good. How's that for some Orwellian think? War is good. War is good because it generates income. It puts money in the pockets of our American workers, it strengthens our American companies. I heard Aaron Burnett say the very same thing on CNN, which is a leftist organization, or at least left center, at the, if you want to describe it that way. Let's not say it's leftist. Let's say it's slightly left of center. And here we got a guy slightly right of center. So for the people that I've been arguing with that say there's two different parties and the blue is better than the red, well, let me surprise you. If you believe in peace, These two groups are equally yoked. They're equal opportunity war hawks, neocons. They're the same people. They have the same outcome. They're actually working together to create the conditions for war expenditures. And my point is very simple. If I'm living in a country, which I am, that the basis of the country 
is empire and war, then everything we do as a country is illegitimate from a spiritual perspective. Because if we live by the sword, we're going to die by the sword. And we can make a choice as we the people to just broom these people, turf them out, and get a whole new generation of of leaders that care about well-being. And everything they do is focused on well-being, not on winning wars, not on funding the military-industrial complex, not on building weapons, not on killing people. We have gone completely insane with this. This is an insanity that we either will or will not wake up from. If we wake up from it, we shall live. And if we continue to slumber in our dope, addled brains filled with Netflix and social media, then you're just going to wake up and you're going to be suffering. Because if we continue down this road of violence, political violence will fill our cities, violence will fill the world, it's spreading everywhere. The U.S. government, we the people now, we are involved in three theaters of conflict. One is the Ukraine, act of war to the max, and we're there up to our eyeballs. The Middle East, up, you know, we're, we the people are actually bombing hooties, you know, almost every night. It's us. Don't say it's them. It's us. It's on us. And then we got this thing building up in the South China Sea. So this is, you know, war. What did Bob Marley sing? War in the East, war in the West, war up North, war down South, war, war, everywhere is war. I should sing it for you. I don't want to scare anybody with how good I sing. That's a beautiful, beautiful song, War by Bob Marley. It's actually took a speech that Haley Selassie, who was the leader of Ethiopia, gave to the United Nations, actually to the League of Nations, when Italy invaded Ethiopia. He was screaming for the United Nations to come to the defense of Ethiopia against the imperialistic designs of the Italians. And he said that as long as the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior, as long as that philosophy continues, war, everywhere is war. And everywhere is war. Can you please put up this um, next one with uh, Dustin Grage? Okay, we're not going to pick on Dustin here, although I've been picking on him pretty heavily online, and he sometimes communicates with me, and I'm looking forward to meeting him. And I'm, inv- I'm inviting him on the channel. Come on on, Dustin. You're a Minnesotan. Let's focus on MinGOP and get off of this stuff in other states. That's not going to work. we got a problem right here, which we're going to talk about very soon. Dustin retweeted Laura Loomer getting down on Nikki Haley, who was uh, retreat, uh, and she was uh, retreating Tucker Carlson, talking about Lindsey Graham and Senator John Cornyn or as I like to call him, Senator Corny, from Texas, they were responding to the deaths of three Americans, three young, beautiful people with parents and brothers and sisters, maybe married with children, killed in Jordan. I don't know why they were in Jordan. What were they doing in Jordan? Can you tell me, President Biden? Do you know why they were in Jordan, President Biden? Maybe get one of your experts in. 
about why we have to prop up the Jordanian regime by having the U.S. military there. What are we doing there? And what's the history of Jordan? What is the history of the Hashemite kingdom? How did it become in Jordan when it actually was in Saudi? And the British allied themselves with the Wahhabists, who are the Islamic fundamentalists that underlie all of the terrorism funded by the Saudis and the oil money, and they drove the Hashemites out of Mecca and Medina into Jordan. Go back and watch Lawrence of Arabia. And here we are on both sides of that equation. We're propping up the King Hussein of Jordan, and we're propping up the Saudis. What are we doing here? None of this is our fight. This is the British business model. We've got our own oil. We don't need to be sacrificing the lives of my children in a sandbox to get the oil. We got our own oil. Let's leave the conversation aside about global warming and global climate change. I'm just saying the whole thing was based on defending the British business model. And here comes Lindsey Graham. You can see it right there. I'm not making it up. He tweets out, hit Iran now. Hit them hard. And here comes Senator Corney from Texas. Target Tehran, their capital. Let's bomb their capital. What do you think they're going to target if we bomb their capital? Think they're just going to roll over? Senator Cornyn, you think they're just going to roll over when we start bombing people's capitals? So this is the underlying crud that's online. Not erudite investigations of history, culture, science, religion, the kind of things that could help people see the truth, help people search for the truth. No, just emotional triggers, using the deaths of three beautiful people, and they were beautiful even if they weren't developed because they were young. Their potential was in front of them, and they're dead. And now, you know, what was that line from the movie Casablanca? Yesterday, they were just two German soldiers. Today, they're the, they're the martyr dead. We have three martyrs now. We're going to get all stirred up over these people. And, you know, a couple of days, we won't, we won't remember their names. But today, hey, they make great, you know, they make a great reason for us to kill Iranians. It's, it's just a horrifying kind of a thing to someone like me. And I, and I recognize I'm out there. But, but why is it that my politics can't prevail now? Why? Is there some fortune-telling you want to tell me it's not going to work? What do you know about it? What do you know about the unseen world and what's getting ready to happen? Oh, that sounds rather narcissistic, and I recognize that it is. And I'll tell you the Jewish philosophy about that because it's not really narcissistic. The philosophy is this, is that every generation... Thousands of people are prepared to make change. And then some of them are chosen to bring about change. So I've been preparing myself my entire life. I have the courage. I have the endurance. I have the control of power. I have the timing. I have the honesty. I've developed these key concepts in my life. I have no idea if I'm ever going to be anything, and I don't care about the outcome. I care about the self-development that comes with my self-governance. So I'm going to continue to self-govern 
And if what I'm saying motivates you, if what I'm saying moves you to join this community and we start to work on a new politics of American well-being, so be it. So be it. Something's going to come out of the spot we're in. I'm trying to contribute so that something that comes out of it is ennobling and uplifting that doesn't involve killing people or me hating myself or hating someone else. I don't want to do that. Unlike Lindy Lee. Let's pop Lindy Lee up there. Can you pop up old Lindy? Lindy's an interesting character. Lindy is in uh, Democratic governance. She's a Princeton graduate, which means she's highly educated, which means she knows exactly what she's doing. And I've just put down a part of her tweet here, because uh, if you go upstream, which you can go find it, she started talking about, you know, really what the what a group of people would call rhinos, the Lindsey Grahams, the John Cornyns, the Dan Crenshaws. These people are not really what we would call part of the self-governance movement. These people are globalists that are involved in supporting empire. So here comes Lindy Lee, and she says, all these aforementioned mega Republicans know the truth, namely that Trump is a terrorist thug who terrorized Congress. That's not why I put this up there, and she's entitled to this opinion. I'm putting it up here to say, Dustin and the rest of you folks that are so anti the alleged MAGA movement, whatever the hell that is, because I wouldn't call myself MAGA, but I like a lot of the ideas, the aforementioned MAGA Republicans, and she mentions people that hate the MAGA movement. So trust me, if the left continues to gain power, Ron DeSantis people, for example, they think you're MAGA even if you think you're not. It's the way it is. And then she calls him a terrorist thug, so I just say back to her, labeling, oh, this is who she labeled, labeling Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, and Kevin McCarthy MAGA Republicans is a stunning broad brush, and it's also a cautionary tale. You may think, I'm talking to you, Ron DeSantis people and you people that hate the mega people, like Alex Pleckish here, who is our local uh, RNC committee man, or Barb Sutter, or David Hand, the people in Minnesota that make it very evident that they hate, hate president. They may actually come to me and tell me, don't support him. Now, I'm not saying they hate him, but they've actually personally reached out to me to try to gain my support, not to, not to be involved in the Trump campaign here in Minnesota. So I know that our national committee people here are, from observing them, from observing what they do, from seeing what they say, from at watching how they act, it's very evident that they're anti-Trump, anti-Mega. So I'm just saying to you, Dustin, and for the rest of you anti-Mega people, from the perspective of Lindy Lee and the left, hey, you're Mega because you're a Republican. Think this through, and this is what I wrote to her. You may think you hate Donald Trump, and I'm talking to you now, you, you, know, you centrist Republicans. You may think you hate Trump, and you may work against him every day. But to this educated elite that you say we should unite to defeat, like the Lindy Lees from Princeton, she thinks you're MAGA. In other words, from her perspective, it would be like you were in Germany and you had a grandparent that was Jewish, one, four, but that was good enough for the Nazis because you went to the camps 
and they gassed your ass. So understand what's going on here. You may want to draw a distinction between conservatives and MAGA, but the left doesn't. And you need to contemplate that as we roll into this next election cycle. And for those of you that think I'm shilling for Trump, boy, you don't know me. I'm advocating for a set of very simple ideas. Borders, both spiritual and physical, need to be restored for the well-being of the people and the well-being of the country. We need to turn public debt into public asset because having nothing is very damaging to one's health. And we need to arrest the disease that's broken out in our society because disease obviously leads to death. I'm interested in those three things, those three ideas, borders, borders, spiritual and physical, turning public debt into public assets, and ending war because nothing is more indicative of being diseased than hating yourself so much that you'll kill someone else. That's my, that's my political position. It seems rather esoteric. We'll keep working on it. It's simple. I want a border. I want assets. And I want to end the endless war because I want my children to live well. Very simple. That's not a partisan argument. That's a leftist argument. That's a rightist argument. That's a left argument, a right argument, an up-down, up-down, east-west, north-south, wherever you make that argument. You can make it, and anybody want to argue about it? Okay, now we're getting down to it. As for the people that don't want borders, they don't want a country. Now we can get down to really d drilling into the differences that people hold so that we, the people, can make a decision and then live with our decision. And if, if a majority of the people want to give up the United States of America for global governance, as Pharaoh said, let it be written, let it be done. But let's at least talk about what's going on intellectually so that we understand the arguments and we can make informed and rational decisions, which, of course, there's a lot of op opposition in the Republican Party to informed and rational decisions because we hate each other in the Republican Party. Yes, we do. We absolutely hate each other. Isn't that interesting? And something has happened here in Minnesota that bears some comment. Now, what I'm going to say is not personal for me, because in the role I'm in, I got people attacking me and lying to me, and I get BSed every day. I don't really don't care. As I said, if you've got one good friend, one good friend that you can depend on their loyalty and their friendship and their support, one good friend, you're a blessed person. So can you pop up this picture here of Patty Williamson, which she was so proud to post up? So she won't mind that I'm posting her up. Many of us in this chat know Patty Williamson. Patty Williamson is the executive chair of the Carver County Republicans. And this past week, uh, she posted up this picture of hanging with the folks from the legitimate SD50 Min GOP leadership. Uh, legitimate, that must mean there's illegitimate leadership. Well, I don't know the particulars of this. And I am not a lawyer, so I'm not going to give a lawyer's opinion. But I know what happened kind of contextually, which is that there was a group of people that were elected to the 
Senate District 50 Executive Committee of the Republican Party of Minnesota. They were elected by their fellow citizens. And it turned out that they were supporters of President Trump. And they were anti the previous regime that one would call centrist or rhino or traditional Republicans. People that I work with every day, I try not to have fights with them. But this group, they're younger than me by about 20 years. So they were fired up that when they got the position, they wanted to end the corruption that they saw in that area. They identified corruption. I don't know if it's true or false. I'm not making a statement true or false. I'm just saying they made allegations that certain people that are prominent in the party had done things that were not right. And uh, they continued to fight with these people just terribly. In fact, I went to a big meeting, a big meeting that was, you know, a big political area that, you know, encompasses about 800,000 Minnesotans got together and we had a, a, a what was called a full committee meeting and this fighting was breaking out and people were screaming at each other and there was even some, some emotional, at least violence, if not physical pushing. It got ugly. And I tried to bring everybody together. I stood up, the head guy, his name's Randy Sutter. He's the executive chairman of CD3. He was surprised that I was so supportive of him because I want to work with everyone. This is going to come as a surprise to the power establishment. Your time in power is going to come to an end now because this is just going to keep building up. And what you're doing is, is you're throwing people out of the party, and perhaps I'm next, and ask me if I care, okay? Politics goes on. The Republican Party of Minnesota is a private club with a forward, a consumer face. Let me say this better. i do it again. It's a private club with a consumer-facing website. That's all it is. It's looking for more people to give money. This is why I talk about the three stooges of the Republican Party. Mr. We don't do that here because that would be politics. We don't do politics. If you're in the Republican Party of Minnesota, no politics. We're not here for politics. You American citizens are too stupid to comment on politics. That would get in the way of the machine. No politics. Mr. We don't do that here. Mr. History doesn't matter. This is a guy who's smart and he wants to make sure nobody does any research lest they come up with some facts that may question the orthodoxy. Mr. History doesn't matter. And then my favorite, Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. And why don't they want any more Republicans? They don't want them because they might vote differently and vote this neocon group, this neocon traditionalist military industrial complex group out of power. And these four American citizens who are going to become famous because they are uh, Molly Belmont and Craig Black and Taylor McKenzie and Burner, these people are going to become famous regardless of the righteousness or the wrongness of their claims because I know what they were doing. They were doing the thing that the Republican Party of Minnesota will not do, which is look for more Republicans. That's why I'm asking you to join, to come to me on X, to come into the live chat, let us know who you are. Our Free People of America website will be ready soon. Be part of a community. We don't say what the outcome is supposed to be. We say, please self-govern. Is this not 
the essence of the parties to give a place for American citizens to come participate in self-governance? Well, it was the essence, but guess what the essence is now? Control, manipulation, and outright hatred of the American citizens that want to be involved. I know, and you've told me, I've been, I mean, I've been viciously attacked by these people and hated, hated by people that have never met me. I mean, I hear things, people saying things about me, they've never met me, and they're making judgments about me based on someone said this and someone said that. And here's the basic summary for me, and I'm entitled to say this because it's my opinion. David Penn is a kike and he's in it for the money. And what I have to say about that is you are incorrect. I am not in it for the money. I am not in it for myself. I personally would like to go live alone, practice the piano and the violin, and practice my martial discipline every day till the day I die. I have very low social needs. In fact, people in my family consider me to be a problem because I don't even want to take a vacation. I just want to practice. I'd love to play the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto one more time. I would love to be able to jump up in the air high enough to have a car go underneath me one more time. I'd love that. I'm not saying I'm going to get either one of those, but I'd like to try. And I don't have the time. And I'll tell you why I don't have the time. I'm watching my country slip into a global war. I'm watching my freedoms be eroded. I'm watching racism and anti-Semitism gain power on the public stage and homophobia and xenophobia. I'm watching the founding documents of my country be impugned. And I just can't sit back and only think of myself. Because as I've said many times on this podcast, if I am not for myself, who will be? But if I am only for myself, what am I? And so I just cannot be so narcissistic as to ignore what's going on in my world. In every generation, maybe millions of people are prepared to make the kind of positive impacts necessary to bring the culture back into the, into the I don't want to call it the center because the center is where the evil lies, but to move the culture onto a trajectory of well-being. Because cultures are survival strategies intended to bring about longevity and human well-being and human goodness. And when they lose that, when they become focused on death and destruction and killing, they're no longer tracking in a way that brings about good results. So I'm saying, you know, okay, it's always self-correcting when there's a world war and, you know, six billion people die. Afterwards, the survivors are going to be very focused on not doing that shit again. But why do we have to do that? You know, I remember World War II because I have the oral tradition. It's in my the cells of my brain. The people that were there talked to me about it. I have that. Now, there's a negative to that. I'm getting old. This generation is dying out. The people that are actually survivors of that war are you know, 80 to 100 years old. They're dying off. And then the generation of people that interacted with them and talked to them, we're going to die off. And the cultural memory of that butchery is going to be lost 
which just means we're going to butcher ourselves again. Unless the intellectuals, the students, the motivated, the lovers of life come together, whoever they are, whoever is chosen, and retract the culture back to one that takes care of the people. And we get this woman, Patty Williamson, and why I'm highlighting her is she was in the group that I ran. Were all these people that she presided over them being thrown off? She was in that group. I don't care what her explanation is, and I know she's got one. But there's always saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I interacted with those people. I broke bread with those people. Those people want to trust me. I want to trust them. I want to work with them. But you see, what really is going on here is they don't. When I say the, they, the hierarchy of the party, all the way up to Ron McDaniel and the RNC, they're only saying they want to support Trump now because what else are they going to say? They're working overtime, trying to figure out how to circumvent, subvert, and just generally derail any movement of the American citizens towards self-governance. So I just say to the American citizens, just self-govern, not with hate, but with participation. So this Patty Williamson, who had a chance to be a uniter in the party, has now forever branded herself as a divider. And that's just too bad. And you, even if you look at what I'm doing in the party, every chance I get, I surprise people with my willingness to talk to them, my unwillingness to label them. I mean, if they actually really want to sit down and work together. But they don't. They just don't. So that just means we need people to come to caucus in Minnesota on February 27th. Come to caucus. Your local caucus will be in your local high school, most likely, or some public setting like a community center. And you'll gather with the people in your neighborhood where you can be elected as a delegate to your Senate District Convention, which will happen very soon thereafter. And at your Senate District Convention, you can be elected as a state delegate. And at that moment, when you're a state delegate, guess what? You got a seat at the table. You have some power in who this party nominates or who this party endorses to represent it in the future. You could become a candidate for state central committee, which is how the party governs itself. So please, we cannot make the party welcoming to American citizens unless the American citizens show up. Please don't write off the Republican Party. The Republican Party really is just an empty bag. It can be run by Abraham Lincoln, and it can be run by Adolf Hitler. It's an empty bag. It depends what citizens show up and then involve themselves in the process of self-government. And the very same thing applies to the Democrat Party, which is a co-conspirator with the Republican Party in making sure that the outcome is the poverty of the American people and the ascendancy of the military-industrial complex. And, you know, if you're on the left and you don't believe that, go study your history. And if you're on the right and you don't believe that, go study your history. You're on the right. You notice that we have health care for everybody and nobody complains about it anymore? Hey, you know what? We have Social Security. Nobody complains about that either. So if you're on the far right, hey, come on. 
obviously, we're in bed with the left here of getting everybody on the payroll of government. And when everybody's on the payroll of government, guess what? Everybody's dependent on government. And when everybody's dependent on government, what are they dependent on? The goodwill and sacred honor of our elected representatives. How do we get people of goodwill and sacred honor to represent us? And that's when we self-govern. And if you don't self-govern, if you don't come into the process, and then you complain that this politician or that politician is no good, hey, it's on you. You didn't show up to self-govern. And you know who showed up? The who elect assholes. So please, if you want to make the country better, in Minnesota, it's February 27th. It's different throughout the country. There is a process of self-governance in every state and territory. So when we all come in as American citizens, or we go to precinctstrategy.com and take a tutorial on how to get into the game of politics, the resources to get involved are there. Or perhaps you can even follow us here at Free People, and we'll try to help you. As we get better and better at this, we're going to help you more and more. We're a baby organization. We're just getting rolling. Stick with us. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Don't fall into never talk about politics and religion because that's a judgment and that's a scam and that keeps the status quo in place, which probably is going to lead to your kids getting killed. And I know you don't want that. I mean, I assume you don't want that. I have to ask myself about Lindy Lee and, you know, Dustin Gage and Grage and this Daryl Hansen. Do you have children? Come on. Wake up now, kids. These people are playing with big weapons that kill wholesale. We're not out there with swords now, okay? It's a different world. Wake up. Wake up together. Let's wake up and live. Let's get up and stand up for our rights. So you're going to be seeing these uh, people from SD50. They're going to get famous. We're going to make them famous. That's what we're going to do. And, Elliot, could you please play? I didn't put a number on it. It's the Fox piece 526 on the RNC endorsing Trump. Breaking moments ago, the Republican National Committee is considering declaring former President Trump the party's presumptive 2024 nominee. Fox News has just gotten a hold of a copy of this proposed resolution. It has not been approved. And of course, Nikki Haley is still in the race. She is campaigning throughout the weekend in South Carolina. She lost Iowa and she lost New Hampshire, coming in third in Iowa and second in New Hampshire, about an 11-point spread, a decisive win by the former president. Um, but the RNC, question is, are they rushing things? Let's bring in Fox Business anchor David Asman and Fox News contributor Robert Wolf, former economic advisor to President Obama and now CEO of 32 Advisors. Great to have both of you with us today. Um, so, so, David, Nikki Haley has a number of events that are scheduled in South Carolina over yeah. the weekend. She has said she wants to get back to her home state, that there's only been two states. Obviously, she didn't win in either one of them. Um, what do you make of this push uh, by some at the RNC to, to declare him the presumptive nominee at this point? 
Well, uh, Ron and McDaniel had had suggested that everybody should get together uh, behind one candidate after mm -hmm. after what we saw in New Hampshire. The big question is what she decides to do now. I mean, there's a lot of questions about whether she's going to join a no labels group. Maybe Joe Manchin at the top of that ticket and she'd be running as VP or vice versa. Who knows? But the bottom line is she has to figure out whether she's going to be a Republican or, or a Democrat, not an independent at this point, because she has a future in front of her. I mean, 2028. She's never suggested that she wants to be a Democrat, David, no, or even no, an she independent. No, she hasn't, or, or an independent. And, and 2028 is not that far away. And, of course, Donald Trump, if he wins the election, uh, he would only be president for one term. So that would uh, that would mean that either she could have it, she could be a VP. I mean, that's, that's after after all the animosity, it would be hard to imagine that Trump would pick her as a VP. But barring that, she could run in 2028. If she broke off or defied the RNC on this, I think it really hurts her chances uh, for the future. Yeah, she has said, Robert, um, that she's a Republican, that she's a conservative, and that she pushes back hard against the idea that she is... Um, you know, even a moderate, she pushes back against that based on her That's immigration Thanks, rules in South I'll push back on Nikki Haley. The word Democrat doesn't capture Nikki Haley. If you're a Democrat, let me give you the word that captures it. And if you're a Democrat and you're a leftist, you're a globalist. And let's think about why I say that. Workers of the world unite. Workers of the world unite. That is one of the fundamentals of the left movement. And Nikki Haley is a child of the left. Her policies are supportive of a globalist orientation. And I don't care if she calls herself, I can call myself, I'm going to call myself a, uh, uh, I'm Japanese today. I could be anybody I want to, right? No, no, you got to look at what people do, not what they say. Let's look at what the outcomes are. What do people actually do? What are they proposing? And what Nikki Haley is proposing are ideas that are supportive of the globalist military-industrial complex. That's who's backing her. That's who she is. So if she wants to wrap herself in faith or conservatism, that's fine. That would be called a disguise. It's really down to a very simple set of either-ors now. You're either four borders, both spiritual and physical. If you're for a spiritual border, you don't have the brass to want to run a worldwide empire because that is ambitious. And that kind of ambition would be a deadly sin. We're not arrogant. We're not arrogant. That's arrogant to say that the post-World War II Democrat liberal order needs to be the organizing principle for all 8 billion people on the planet? What kind of scam is that? But that's her position, and that's the position of many of the conservatives that follow her, which is really just a position that says more money for the military, and what do you have to do when you buy those weapons? you got to use them. you got to keep using up the inventory or there's no more orders. So if you're a leftist and you believe in this, in the military, and the importance of democracy, what you're really saying is you believe in the importance of killing people. And that is not part of the traditional American left. We're an anti-war movement. And when I say we, because I was and I still am, because these movements have been scrambled up in a way you can't even make sense of them anymore. 
Nikki Haley wants everybody on X to identify themselves. I identify myself. I look at all the people that are following me. Nobody's got a real name. I get it. They're afraid. They lack courage. But that's no reason to make them have courage because they're not going to have courage. They're going to leave the dialogue because they're afraid. Courage is contagious. Let more and more people come forward with their names. And then we're going to have a more honest dialogue. Because when you put your name to it, you got to think about what you're going to say and do. It's, 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 just, it's just depressing. Just depressing. Plus, I've met Nikki Haley two times, and she's not very smart. Or at least she wasn't on the days I met her. And I said before, maybe she was just tired. You know, she's traveling. Maybe she was tired. But her ideas are old. Her presentation of self in everyday life is old. Wrapping yourself in the cloth of conservatism and, or in the cloth of faith to hide a neocon militarist sentiment is old. The whole thing is old. And so David Aspen says the quiet part out loud. She's a Democrat. Great work, David. Probably going to get bounced off of Fox for that kind of honesty. Now, I see something on, and I talked about this on the previous podcast. I see something on uh, social media I cannot prove with any kind of statistics or any kind of uh, research. You know, I'm not even going to put this woman's face up here because it's called the facts are the facts. Factual truth is, I mean, there's no name, right? And somebody's funding this thing, and uh, here's what it says. MAGA will kill the GOP's chances of winning in 2024. Women hate Trump. Women hate Trump. Okay. That's rather broad-brushed. But I see it out there. There is a lot of women that are very vocal in their opposition to Trump. And uh, I don't have to tell you anything you don't know. It's easy to see why they might think that way, uh, you know, with all the um, sexual politics that surround President Trump. I get it. And I did uh, text back, and if you're following me on social media, you're, you're going to see it. The one thing I like about Trump, the one thing, one, and I don't even know if it was because of him. Well, he did fight a war against ISIS and eliminate them quickly. And he did assassinate Soleimani, which was a stretch. The world was a much more peaceful place under President Trump. That's it. He funded the military fantastically. Spent a lot of money we didn't have to fund the military. He started the Space Force. I think he's a military-industrial complex kind of a guy. And I don't support that. But he did use the military in a way that restrained them from getting in wars. He just didn't get any big wars. And now we got President Biden and wars breaking out everywhere. And that might not be all of his fault. But you got to blame the guy who's pitching. Like if the guy's pitching, he might be throwing heat. And if three guys in a row step up to the plate and crack out 400 you know, feet homers, uh, you know, he might be throwing great. We might have had three great hitters that won those battles but somebody's got to take the blame for it. Hey, give the guy the hook. Let's get a reliever in there. And I'm not saying Trump's supposed to be the reliever. I'm saying you got to hold accountable the man in the stand, you know, in the chair at the time. And right now, we got wars everywhere going on, and it's not cool. And Trump didn't have those wars. 
So I'm going to get down to what the issue is, and I'm going to ask a question. And it comes from my mother. My mother was a bra burner, and she was a feminist of the highest order, the highest order. My father used to wear a T-shirt pointing at him that said, this is what a feminist looks like. So I grew up in a very pro-feminist background. I, I understand it. I was studied it, and it was a big deal when I went to the university back in the 70s, and it's even gotten more so throughout the years, and I've kept up with it. And my mother used to always say, and she still says because she's still alive, the gains of women can be wiped away in an instant. And what she's saying is, is that one election, one Supreme Court decision, and all the gains that the feminists had made so hard fought over so many decades can be wiped away. And it just occurred to me today, nothing would be more detrimental to the feminist movement than war, particularly a nuclear war where our institutions of power broke down. In other words, if the world went back to the law of the jungle, nothing would be more damaging to the gains of women than a war that led to a breakdown of our society and our institutions. So women who hate Trump, who are faced with the choice between an administration who has proven that it gets us into wars everywhere and a set of ideas that got us out of wars. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a predictor of the future. You can only look at the facts that we can see. Please consider it. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not. I'm just saying this is an idea that came to me I want to share with you. How horrible it would be for women and children if war destroyed our institutions and we went back to the ancient prevailing sentiment of the strong parasitizing the weak. How terrible that would be. I go back to um, traditional writing sometimes because I like to look back and understand why it is that I think the way I think. And I've been given a lot of thoughts to how much I want to serve that unseen world. And for those of you who are new, I'm not saying God. I don't want you to turn off. Let's just say there's an unseen energy that I don't understand. It's beyond my comprehension. I like to look back. And I like to look back at the history of Western tradition, at the writings that people dismiss, like the Psalms or the Old Testament, as if there's no wisdom there. Because there is wisdom there, and we need to have the courage to go back and look at it, because within that wisdom and within those writings are a lot of the underpinnings of why we think the way we think and why we act the way we act right now, here today. So there's a beautiful Psalm, Psalm 118. and. Um, it says, I will not die but live, and I will pro proclaim what the Lord has done. This builds on the last podcast, which we're always looking back at the Exodus and the way the Jewish people became free because there's so many peoples that are enslaved that have trauma, intergenerational trauma. We want to look back at 
how were these people freed? Not what kind of rituals did they put around their process of emancipation such that that trauma can be healed and, and, or at least lessened over time? And here's a great one. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. In other words, I was corrected in my poor behavior. If you don't like the idea of God, maybe you like the idea of karma. But my, my behavior was bad, and I was chastened severely. I'm making an I statement. This was a psalm of King David. I bear his name, and I have been chastened severely. Severely. But like King David, I was not given over unto death. And then it says, this is beautiful, Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter and give thanks. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Save us. Grant us success. I mean, these are beautiful ideas of well-being. And, you know, I know there's people that are watching that don't believe in God. And for my audience that's believing, I'm not giving up on my faith. If we're going to coalesce people around a source, a sense of, of uh, traditional ideas, we got to get them to, to stay around to listen. So I want people to listen. And let's just think about, okay, who are the audience? Tax collectors, criminals, prostitutes. So let me have all the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the criminals. Let them come into the live chat where you won't be judged against. Well, we're trying to form up an American community that's based on your well-being, what's good for you, not what's good for some elites, so all the money goes up here and the comes downhill. No, what's good for everybody? That's what we need in a society. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. And, of course, we don't know that. We've forgotten about that. I'm going to talk about something that happened, 50, you know, really thousands and thousands of years ago to the Jewish people, and that was the Exodus. We don't remember. It's gone down the memory hole. The love of God, the faithfulness of God. Where is God? Well, you know, guess what? If you don't believe he exists, don't expect him to show up. The first way to get a relationship with the supernatural is to believe it exists. If you're a scientist and you don't think it exists, hey, don't expect it to knock on your door. You've got to knock on God's door. So Moses, he told his father-in-law, this is the telling of the story, after the Jews had gotten out of Egypt, Moses told his father-in-law, Jethro, this is Exodus uh, chapter 18. Uh, in, in, in Hebrew, it's Yitro. We call it Jethro. That's how we saw it. But in Hebrew, it's Yitro. Moses told his father, father-in-law, this is his father-in-law, like a family, right? Actually, they had families about all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians on account of Israel, and about all the hardships that had befallen Israel on their way out of Egypt, and that and the Lord had saved them. And Jethro was really happy to hear this stuff, and all the good that the Lord had done for Israel. He was not an Israelite, but he was happy. He was a Midianite, that he had rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians. They didn't like the Egyptians either, 
because the Egyptians were an empire. Not nice to anybody but the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed is the Lord who has rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of Pharaoh, who has rescued the people from beneath the hand of the Egyptians. This is a story of emancipation. We can leave out all the supernatural stuff. It's a story of emancipation. It's about spreading the word of people becoming free and of healing their trauma, their intergenerational trauma. It came about on the next day that Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood before judges in the morning until the evening. Stay with me on this. You're going to like it. If you're a leftist, please stay. You're going to like this. This is very left, right in that evil Hebrew Bible. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing to the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing to the people? Why do you sit by yourself while all the people stand before you morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, for the people come to me to seek God, or in other words, to search for truth. And if any of them has a case, he comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the statutes of God and his teachings. People are going to say, that sounds rather tyrannical. Let's leave that to the side. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and those people who are with you, for the matter is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Moses, the prophet, he can't do it alone. His father-in-law is correcting him. Probably wanted him to be a good husband to his daughter. Now listen to me, and I will advise you, and may the Lord be with you. You represent the people before God, and you shall bring the matters to God, and you shall admonish them concerning the statutes and the teachings, and you shall make known to them the way they shall choose to go and the, do, the deeds they shall choose to do. But you shall choose out of the entire... Listen to this. This is cool. This is, this is in the Old Testament for those of you that have dismissed it out of hand is some kind of archaic, barbaric book. Listen to this and know where the ideas come from. Karl Marx, son of a rabbi. But you shall choose out of the entire nation men of substance, God-fearers, men of truth, who hate monetary gain. And you shall appoint over them leaders over thousands, leaders over hundreds, leaders over fifties, and leaders over tens. In other words, the governance of the people was dependent upon leaders who had sacred honor, who were not there to narcissistically fill their own pockets, but who had selflessly given over to public service. Right there in Exodus, in a book that very few people read. I'm going to read it again because it's so powerful. This is what we need to do in politics. We need to choose from our entire nation men and women of substance, people who fear the unseen world, people who have fear, who have boundaries, men and women who search for the truth, men and women who hate monetary gain. And they use that word hate in Hebrew, very specifically, because it's such a trap, right? And you shall appoint over them, that would be the nation, leaders over thousands, leaders over hundreds, 
leaders over 50s, and leaders over 10s. So right here in this very ancient book that all of us can go study is an admonition, a suggestion, that we find men and women of substance, men and women who have sacred honor, who have borders, spiritual borders inside themselves, to be our judges, to be the attorneys, the people that interpret the rule of law. And we're living in a moment where the rule of law is being wielded like a weapon. And that's not what it's supposed to be. The rule of law is a set of ideas that we agree upon together as a community that governs our behavior. And when people have disputes, learned men and women who are dedicated to the community intervene to lessen the opportunity for violence. That's why we have law. Because if we don't have law, the strong always prevail over the weak, right? And we decided all the way back here in the Old Testament even before there was love your neighbor as yourself in the New Testament, that there needed to be a search for truth, and upon that search for truth rested justice, and with the justice there was peace. That's why the people you know, chant no justice, no peace. So this rule of law issue is only as good as the people who sit in the chairs and wield the power of the law. And the pundits and the commentators who then take that process and further use it as a weapon are not bringing about peace, but they're bringing about division and war. And when we see from the left perspective or the right perspective that any process that we're engaging in as American people is creating division and fragmentation and labeling, and fortune-telling, and emphasis of the negative, anytime we see that, we know we're dealing with people that have decided to give up their spiritual borders in pursuit, most likely, of money. And that disqualifies them from being in those positions. And on that note, I want to thank you all for joining. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Please find me on X. Please stay in the community. Please join. Please hit the like button. Please leave comments. Please bring your friends. Please retweet. Please send out the shorts. Simply put, please help us build a political movement that is dedicated to the well-being of you, your parents, and our children. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you again next week.